And here uh, it is said that Jesus is lifted up to the cross. He will also be lifted up from the earth uh, to glory, uh, the day of ascension. But here our emphasis is on Jesus being lifted up on the cross. And he is telling his disciples, this is, this is a Palm Sunday. This week, Jesus is telling his disciples, I will be lifted up. They knew what that meant. As the serpent was lifted up, Jesus would be lifted up. He knew it was, they knew it was to die. He's, he's warning them. He's preparing them for that event. We hear this story from our perspective, and Jesus is reminding us, don't ever forget Jesus crucified. Don't ever forget the cross of Christ. Let's read uh, together uh, John, uh, John chapter 12, uh, beginning at verse 20, and we will read uh, through uh, verse 36. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, um, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light uh, is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light. 
that you may become sons of light. Don't ever forget the cross of Christ. At the cross, uh, Jesus is most glorious. The hour had come for Jesus to fulfill his purpose. You may recall in the, in the second chapter of John, uh, Mary wanted an early slice of the glory of God. And Jesus responded to her by saying, what, have, uh, what um, does this have to do with me? And he said, my time has not yet come. The day drew near for him to be lifted up, the Gospels tell us, and he turned his face like a flint towards Jerusalem to face that day when he would be lifted up. And the time is just about now, on that week of Easter. Father, glorify your name. There was great glory in that voice by itself. It was thunderous. It was hard for some or impossible for some to distinguish, but it was clearly something heavenly, perhaps angelic, some others thought. It is not the first time that the voice, God's voice from heaven had been heard. At the baptism of Jesus, there was uh, the God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son, the Spirit appearing as a dove upon the Son, and the Father saying uh, that this is my beloved Son, uh, with whom I am well pleased. That was a glorious time. Imagine seeing that wonderful time. I've often thought about the Mount of Transfiguration, where there was again a voice from heaven, where, where Moses and Elijah and the Lord Jesus appeared in dazzling clothes, clothes that, that seemed to emit light. They were glorious and brilliant. But then there was the voice from heaven again, saying pretty much the same thing. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, but this time adding, listen to him. John mentions neither one of those accounts uh, in his Gospel. But we have instead the thunderous voice of God and the Spirit revealing that which was most glorious. And Jesus said to his disciples, and he's saying to you and me, do not forget that bloody, disgraceful, disgraceful cross of God's glory. There was glory in the Son of God being lifted up. And the Father glorified him um, here in this event, in his being lifted up with greater clarity and vividness than at any other time in Jesus' ministry. The incarnation was truly glorious. God was humbled and he took the form of, became a man. He then became a servant, a servant who would die. The incarnation was majestic. The resurrection is majestic, truly glorious, mission accomplished. The ascension where Jesus was lifted high uh, into the heavens and where he would pour out the Spirit, where he would rule all things from glory is also glorious. 
But the supreme glory that is being referred to here is in the lifting up of Jesus. It is clearly identified. The time that we, we didn't know that he, the Son of Man would be lifted up, it says later in the text. We didn't know that he had to die. And yet the supreme glory of God is seen in lifting up the Son to cruel execution. It is a horrendous and somewhat mysterious event, but also most glorious. And I want to sharpen our attention on that point by referring uh, to the passage in the Psalms. So this is where mercy and faithfulness meet where righteousness and peace kiss each other. Righteousness and peace kiss. God is always just and sins must be punished. God is also merciful and His heart pours out mercy upon His children. And either one of these without the other is simply bad news. Can you imagine God's righteousness without also his mercy, without also peace? Imagine being under the curse of God. Uh, Imagine the desperation of, of hearing the call that you've got to obey all the things that are contained in the book of the law and do so perfectly. Or you will be judged. That's what God's Righteousness means, and there is hell to pay. But it's also true that peace without justice is, is, is weightless. It, it is a myth, but it is also a sham. It's an empty hope. It, it is simply whistling in the dark. There is no judgment. There is no one calling me to account for the things that I do. And yet here we read that mercy and faithfulness meet, that righteousness and peace kiss each other, kiss each other on the cross so that the Father can kiss His children. So that the Father, if you will, would kiss you. No wonder we sing and love to sing these words of the hymn that justice smiles and asks no more. Justice is satisfied. Justice is pleased to kiss peace and grant us that that place with God. My conscience seeks no sacrifice beside. I don't need to avoid my sin. I don't need to be critical of other people and sort of help me myself to feel better. I don't need to do those things. My guilty conscience seeks no sacrifice besides. And if I may even state it this way, please understand this in the best possible way imaginable, that this is where God shows himself most godlike. Where his holy attributes are in full display, where his holy attributes are undiluted in their glory and joined perfectly together in the person of Christ, lifted up 
And in his death, righteousness and peace, kissing with satisfaction. What do, we, what do we walk away with this? For one thing, you have from God all the mercy that you will ever need. We have hundreds of reasons for doubting God's mercy. We rest, Our consciences declare, you've blown it again, you've done it again. In moments of clarity, moments of of sobriety, we even look into our hearts and we say that there is wickedness there. Wicked thoughts, and at times, wicked words. We have a hundred reasons to doubt God's mercy. But my friends, his deepest impulse is to move towards sinners who need grace and mercy. His deepest impulse is to resolve the problems that our sin creates, to deal with our own unrighteousness, to honor His justice through righteousness and peace kissing. That is what delights Him more than any. So when you, when you call out to Him in your failures, He actually has more mercy for you and not less. Do not forget the cross of Christ. And there are other reasons why we do not forget the cross of Christ. And one of them is that, uh, that in the cross, God judges the world. The world was passing judgment on Christ in this crucifixion. He had disrupted their little religion where they could simply do these nice things believing that they were honoring God by keeping His word but then not having their hearts far from Him. Jesus would have none of it. And they were, they were disturbed, to put it gently. The cross still is foolish to this world and is still judging God. There is almost an attitude today that God needs to seek forgiveness from us. Because we are the ones that are more concerned with the kind of justice that's spoken about today. More concerned than God is. He's the one that's in the wrong. That God's rules for people are oppressive. Not not designed for human flourishing. We decide with whom we will have sexual relations. We decide even what gender we are. God makes mistakes all over the place. Limited knowledge. Limited power. The cross is is God's judgment on the world. You cannot be wise without submitting to the, the Creator. You cannot be safe without the foolishness of the cross, the Lamb of God lifted up in sacrifice. In the cross, God judges the world. In the cross, he also casts out the usurper. He casts out the usurper. Um, now is the time uh, for judgment in the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Ever since the fall, the world has been, the scripture says, under the power uh, of the evil one. And history records the battle that Satan was engaged in to keep it that way. And I'll just mention a couple of them. 
in Herod's slaughter of the innocents, a painting that was uh, was done by Peter Rubin, describes and depicts very very powerfully the horror of Herod's decree. Um, Satan will go to no um, limit of bloodshed for his purposes. There is the bold-faced temptation in the wilderness that Satan was seeking to keep his kingdom intact by having Jesus bow down to him. The world is under the power of the evil one, and in particular, that power is expressed in these ways. The scripture says that the, de- that the devil is the deceiver, and he is one who blinds the eyes of individuals so they cannot see the light of the, of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Uh, he deceives and he blinds. And so as he enters uh, Judas, uh, who is Satan's dupe, to betray Jesus with a kiss, uh, his apparent victory of defeating the Messiah was in fact his biggest defeat. And his tyranny is smashed forever. When Jesus was lifted up, when Jesus was lifted up on the cross, uh, Satan was dethroned. His tyranny was broken. Uh, Colossians says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. The disciples got a preview of this as Jesus sent them out to preach the gospel. Jesus puts it this way when they come back to report in on the success of their missionary journeys. This is what Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. A preview of what occurs when Christ is lifted up and Satan is cast down. The Gospels puts it this way, that Jesus overcomes the strong man and broke his power. Revelation says his power to deceive the nations. Corinthians puts it this way, his power to keep people blind to the, to, the, uh, to the glory of Christ. Certainly, uh, Satan has influence today. Certainly, Satan uh, is still deceiving the, the minds uh, and, and eyes of many. But wherever the power of, this, of the gospel goes through the Spirit, The kingdom of Satan is pushed back. Light penetrates it and brings the beauty of the new creation breaking in upon the old. Now, what about us? Many, most of us here certainly have bowed the knee to Jesus, having seen his glory and said, I honor you. I submit my life to you. I want to live for you. And yet, even Christians can lose sight of the glory of the cross. Even Christians can lose sight of the glory of the cross. It can become old news and maybe even a little bit boring and tired. Uh, J. Gresham Machen wrote in his book, Christianity and Liberalism, about two different religions. Uh, those religions are expressed in the New Testament by the Judaizers in one case and the true gospel in the other but it is still, it's an untruth that can creep into our lives as well and can blur our sight and our, of the beauty of the cross. This is what I mean. 
Um, it, it, Machen puts it this way. There were some in the New Testament, the Judaizers, who said, how do you get saved? How do you find, how do you find salvation? Believe in Jesus, keep the law, and you will be justified before the Lord. Believe, obey, and you are justified. And the true gospel is something else. It is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you are saved, you are justified by God, and the good works are a consequence. Ferguson, Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way, we are forever trying to smuggle good works uh, into that middle position of adding to our salvation. We are constantly trying to smuggle good works into our character that would make us somehow more deserving. We do it in two ways. We, we, we blur the beauty of the cross in two ways. One of them is through legalism and the other one is through license. Just a moment on that. Legalism. That is when we are carrying the burden of all the things that we know we're supposed to do. Our guilty conscience just drives us to, to try harder and we become addicted to pleasing people and finding honor that way and we simply can't rest. The legalist cannot rest. There is no glory in the cross for the legalist. There is also no glory in the cross for the one who practices license. That is, I will do what I want to do. I've been forgiven. Sin has been dealt with. It doesn't matter what we do. A heart becomes hardened and a conscience becomes hardened before God. And there is no joy in that license. It becomes instead a bondage. Christians can lose sight of the glory of the cross as well. Well, the third thing that occurs here, God, in, in the cross, the Lord judges the world. He casts out the usurper and he draws all people to himself. The Pharisees noticed this. Before, right before the passage that I started reading, the Pharisees were getting all kinds of in a fit because of all the people that were going, that were flocking to Jesus. He had raised Lazarus from the dead. People from all over were oppressed. And, and what, does, what did they say? Look, the whole world has gone after him. And at the beginning of the passage that I read, that I was supposed to read at the beginning of the service, but forgot, sorry. Um, but but the, the passage I finally got around to read speaks, uh, speaks of, of, the, of the Greeks who came. They were part of that number. And they said, and they said we would see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. So already, uh, those, those, uh, that declaration is being, is being answered, that the world uh, is going after Jesus. Now, uh, just a clarification, that does not mean that uh, it is not that all people without exception are going to be drawn to the cross. The people that here described, many of them were not. We see it around us, that's obvious in the extreme. But it does mean all people uh, without distinction. And that's why the Greeks were mentioned, all people without distinction. And this is the glory of the gospel. That rich and poor, Jew and Greek, black and white, male and female, we all find a home in the church of Jesus Christ. And I look around this room and there is good evidence of those who are, have been rescued from the tyranny of the devil. What a glorious thing that is. 
having been rescued from the tyranny, the control of the devil that binds you to certain behaviors and even thoughts and attitudes. I want to say this in application. I want to say this. The Lord Jesus, through the cross, uh, breaks the tyranny of the devil and is still drawing people to himself. So, the Holy Spirit is not finished with your family. The Holy Spirit is not finished with mine. The Holy Spirit is not finished with you. The Holy Spirit is not finished with your friends, the ones you have shared the gospel with. The Holy Spirit is powerfully at work. Be patient. As we're reminded, the Spirit works when and how uh, and, and where He pleases. But He does work. He is pleased to work right now in amazing ways in Africa as our brother Richard Gardner is discipling thousands of formerly Muslim who are now believers in Jesus to reach their neighbors. The gospel is being noticed in Muslim countries. Many are coming to faith in Jesus. The church in China persecuted and, we might say, therefore growing, has multiplied tenfold in the last 50 years. Praise God. Praise God. Judgment has come upon the world, and now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up, will draw all people to my myself. The first section of this passage, which we did not read, verses 20 to 26, really answered that whole question about being licentious, being doing whatever you want, <laughs> being a free spirit, answers that problem once and for all. And here's where we put our remembering of the cross to bear in our own lives. Remember, never forget the cross of Jesus Christ. And its shadow uh, should be cast upon you and your life and my life at all times. So we follow Jesus in the glory of losing our lives for him. Now Jesus describes himself here as a grain of wheat. A, a grain of wheat that, uh, that is dried up, it appears inert, it appears that there's no power in it. Not even a potential. It's a dried up seed. It looks powerless. It looks without any, uh, any, any uh, potential for life. But as it falls into the earth, and as it is watered, it dies first, and then it is watered, it comes to life and it bears much fruit. And so the first question for us today is, have you come to believe in, in him, in this Savior whose death and resurrection is for sinners who wish to come out from the tyranny of the devil and walk in true freedom with sins forgiven. That's the first question. Can you say that you are confident that 
in my heart. I have seen and glory in the fact that righteousness, God's just requirements, and his mercy have met together. In my experience. Because I have my, my confidence in the cross of Jesus Christ. It is a daring belief that God does not treat us as our sins deserve. But that is the truth. That is the gospel. Secondly, though, it is also a pattern. We follow Jesus in a life of dying to self. Whoever loses his life, sorry, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. For where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The pattern here, the pattern here uh, is to uh, follow the Lord Jesus. If you love your life instead, that is, if you follow the world, if you live for power or the praise of people, um, if you detach your sexuality from the confines, the blessed confines of a biblical marriage, if you love your life, you will lose it. However, on the other hand, if you lose your life, you will gain all. You are at your most glorious when you lay down your life, having picked up the cross of Jesus and love and serve others who are certainly undeserving. That is when you are most glorious. C.S. Lewis says, next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor uh, is the holiest object presented to your senses. <laughs> Next to the sacrament, it's you. You redeemed ones are, are, are the um, holiest object, objects to be treasured and valued and honored because you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You are to be loved and respected and honored. So you, when someone mistreats you, when someone dishonors you, what do you do? We're tempted to, to uh, uh, respond with, with words of, of malice. We're tempted, on the other hand, maybe we don't reser- respond overtly, but we practice what's called passive, uh, passive uh, aggressive behavior, uh, that we, we, we are quietly um, seeking to manipulate them or harm them. We'll just not talk! That'll show them. There are times when I have uh, treated my wife that way for minutes, and I find out I, it occurs to me how absolutely stupid that is. Um, may it never be longer than that. I was counseling a couple uh, many years ago, not in this state or congregation, okay? counseling a couple many, many years ago, um, husband and wife, having a hard time getting along. 
and um, after after a few weeks, um, I, I did encourage slash directed the husband to begin praying with his wife, having to be honest with the things that they're both resentful for. Perhaps the spirit would break them of their pride. My goal. Well, um, came back, uh, and, and his wife, I remember her vividly to this day, her, her, uh, his wife was a very impressive woman. Um, she was articulate. She had a sharp mind and a tongue to match. <laughs> and, um, and I do recall when they came back the next week and reported, um, the husband reported to me that he had led his wife in prayer. And she had laughed at him, laughed at his efforts, mocked him. What do you do in a situation like that? That's a, what do you do in a situation like that? You love your neighbor as yourself. You lay your life down, even for that woman. You do what's right, even if it is mocked. To love a spouse who treats you so wickedly is a dying. It is a death. To treat a spouse or anyone who treats you so wickedly is a form of dying. My questions to you as we conclude now is how will you show mercy to an undeserving sinner? How will you? Remember, we're talking about the cross of Christ lying across our own backs. Another way to look at this question is how will you overcome evil with good? Maybe you're in a circumstance of that, that you just the Lord is calling you. You can't speak, but maybe you can do. Maybe you can do. Serve someone in your home, maybe in an extra special way, just to convey a heart of mercy. Don't look for anything back. Just serve with a heart of mercy. It is my prayer, my dear friends, that each of us would see more of the glory of the cross of Christ, where righteousness and peace are kissing one another and where that glory splashes across our own lives as well. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you to give you praise and thanksgiving. We thank you for mercy from heaven. We thank you that righteousness and peace have kissed each other. And therefore we are set free to serve you with glad hearts. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.